Those Space People, a podcast series of casual cosmic conversations with people working on exciting space projects. Welcome to Bridging the Gap, brought to you by Women in Aerospace Europe and Those Space People. Bridging the Gap is a special series that spotlights inspirational figures from the aerospace industry, talk about the current skills gap, and provides guidance on developing skills to future-proof your career. So if you're looking to enter the aerospace industry or advancing into leadership roles, then this series is tailor-made for you. Today we're bridging the gap with Shelley Brunswick, the COO of Space Foundation. Space Foundation is a non-profit organization leading space awareness activities, educational programs, and major industry events, and is headquartered in Colorado Springs in Colorado in the USA. And Shelley, of course, needs no introduction in the space community, all through her distinguished career as a program management leader and congressional liaison for the U.S. Air Force to her current role at the Space Foundation. Shelley has always been passionate to contribute to the development of the next generation workforce, and so we are Thrilled to kick off the series with you, Shelley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to join you, and I look forward to having a robust and dynamic discussion about the future of space. Wonderful. So can we start off the conversation uh, with broadly talking about the different inroads into the space industry for, for example, a young professional who's starting out their career? That's an excellent question, because when we think about when I joined the space industry, there were very traditional methods. So when I think back to when I started 25 years ago, there was really only two ways for somebody to come into the space industry. And you primarily came in because you worked at NASA or a civil space agency, or you came in through the military. And many of your audience know, as you highlighted, that I came in through the U.S. Air Force. So I came in through a traditional route. But it was also the start of non-traditional. And the reason I say that is uh, 25 years ago, primarily your space industry uh, individuals were STEM professionals, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But that is not what I am. I have a business degree and an MBA. So I was traditional in the sense that I was military, but I started that non-traditional where we are seeing that continue over the next 25 years to where we are today, where we still need STEM professionals, but now we need more than 50 different careers, you know, astronauts to artists, program managers to policymakers, teachers, technicians, and more. So there are many opportunities for individuals to come into the space industry with a diversity of careers throughout the supply chain, high school graduates to PhDs, and they can still work for those government agencies, but there's also a lot of opportunity in the commercial sector now. And what do you see are the most sought after skill sets in the space industry? I don't know, maybe 20 years ago to now. Well, we still see 20 years ago, STEM professionals were really important. And we still see today where we still need those hardcore STEM professionals. But we also need a lot of other skills that go with it. You know, during COVID, we saw how fragile the supply chain was around the world. Well, we need those people. We need technicians and manufacturers and electricians and welders. You know, we can't build starships to go to the to go to Mars or to the moon without those welders. And so we need those uh, skills that are also um, in the manufacturing sector. And in the U.S., we're seeing a shortfall of those skills, as well as the STEM professionals. But again, as we see the commercial space economy taking off, so let me just give you a number. In 2022, the global space economy was $546 billion. And of that, 78% is commercial. 
Well, commercial needs, yes, they do need STEM professionals, but then they also need everybody else. They need sales, they need marketing, they need strategic communications. So they need all those skills. So for somebody who's out there listening, what are you passionate about? And if you want to be in the space industry, you can start looking for those companies that hire all those skill sets. And let's say someone who is a mid-professional who is looking to enter the space industry from another industry, how do you advise that they find opportunities? Well, first, I'm going to start with for anybody that wants to do anything, I have an interstellar guide to success. And there's three main steps. It's awareness, access, and action. And so that first one is awareness. Your podcast is a great form of awareness. There are awareness that there are opportunities in the space industry for you, whether you're early career, mid-career, or even late career, there are opportunities for you. Now that second step is the access points. And you can look at those as training, mentoring, and networks. So I know an amazing woman who did a mid-career transition out of the oil and gas industry here in Colorado. And Over the course of time, she's now the COO for a space startup company. And what she did is exactly what I just said for access. She reached out and found mentors and champions and role models. She networked with space organizations. And then she also did some um, online formal and informal training. So that's that's your access points. And then that third step is just like this person did. You have to take action. You have to join those organizations. You have to network with people. You have to learn the lingo. Space has its own uh, vernacular, and we talk in different talks, just like the military talks and acronyms, and we, uh, you know, women in aerospace. So we ha- you have to learn that lingo. So you have to take action. So it's three main steps. And again, it doesn't matter where you are in your career or really what you want to accomplish. Those three steps of awareness, access, and action apply to everyone. I love that mantra. I guess one can apply that even, you know, outside of the professional world and personal life as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So can we talk about some of the least popular career paths that you've seen evolve in the last few years in the space industry? Well, I think we should look at all the career paths and um, people may not think that these are career paths into space, but here's one example that I think is amazing. I visited Kennedy Space Center and many people know that is where the shuttle and SpaceX are launching rockets. Um out of in Florida. But you know, there's not a lot of food around Kennedy Space Center, not a lot of restaurants, not a lot of fast food. So there's Kennedy Space Center, and then there's a bunch of companies like Boeing and OneWeb and, you know, um, Blue Origin that are building companies. But again, people have to eat. So if there's no place to go eat, then you have to bring your lunch every day. So there's some options, you know, uh, we talked to some startup companies that were restauranteurs and it's like, well, what if you got a food truck and every day you drove out there? Cause it's, it's a good 30, 45 minutes from Kennedy space center to Cocoa beach. So it, you can't really do it during a lunch hour. So somebody could be in the restaurant business, put together a food truck, drive it out, pull up to one web, sell their food there, then drive across the street. So there's a lot of ways that people don't realize how they are part of the space community because the space community is people. So that means people, you need schools, right? Because people want to move somewhere and take jobs where there's a place for their kids to go to school. So you want to have teachers, you want to have a community. So a lot of times people don't necessarily see that economic development piece when they think about the space industry. But one of the things we're looking at here in the United States is, you know, the cost of housing, and good schools because we want to build that future workforce and families want to send their kids to great schools. 
So as companies are building and relocating, that whole economic development of what a community looks like is really an important piece too. So for individuals who, again, I really want to be part of the space sector, but I'm not going to be a rocket scientist. You know what? There's this whole litany of careers that you may have not even thought about, like I just described. Food service, everybody's got to eat or teachers, or all these uh, uh, housing and relocation. You know, people got to move to Kennedy Space Center, or Denver, Colorado, or Los Angeles, or to where all the space companies are setting up. So they need all those other support services as well. So it's a great way for somebody to start a niche business and become an entrepreneur, maybe. That's that's a very interesting take. And I guess it kind of also holds globally, because if we look at space centers, or space companies, for a myriad of reasons, they are located in far off places. You know, they're not really in the middle of a city or a well-populated area, be it in Europe or in, in India or, you know, uh, further in the East. So, yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. I never really occurred to me. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Another important thing is uh, also circling back to what you previously said about the space industry needing a lot of electricians and, you know, welders and these non-STEM, very important professionals. Uh, it's especially true since we are all also vertically integrating, right? Everybody's vertically integrating. It's it's becoming more and more self-sufficient, the ecosystem. So we definitely need all these people. But to attract this talent from other industries, I see one big hurdle, which is the difference in pay gap, the difference in pay, right? Because the profit margins in the space industry are so low, of course, it doesn't trickle down. We just need to compare the salaries of, um, I don't know, a software engineer at Google versus a software engineer at SpaceX, SpaceX, hands down, is the coolest, most amazing, and pretty sure very rewarding uh, job for that person. But unfortunately, you know, there's a big pay gap. Do you think there is a way or at some point in the future we will overcome this as an industry? Absolutely. Now, I will highlight in the United States that those jobs in the space industry usually pay more than jobs that are not in the space industry. So that may be just an anomaly here in the United States. So I do want to highlight that. And I also want to highlight that, you know, there's a difference in the access. So to become an electrician or welder, there may be a much lower bar than becoming a rocket scientist. Like you said, you know, a rocket scientist may have to have a PhD. You're going to take on maybe a large amount of debt or you can get scholarships. Whereas an electrician, you know, there are some manufacturing programs that, high school students can complete here in the United States, complete a certificate and walk right out of high school and walk into a high paying manufacturing job. And so, you know, there's a lot of difference in how individuals can look at how soon they can start their careers. So let's talk about diversity in the space industry, right? So when we look at the representation of women in the space industry, I actually see quite an interesting difference between Germany, where I'm currently located, uh, and India, where I come from. So, for example, engineering is considered a masculine uh, field in Germany, with fewer girls opting for it, while in India, specific branches of engineering are considered, uh, are preferred. So, for example, branches such as electronics or computer science are preferred by women in India or girls in India instead of mechanical engineering or civil engineering, right? So this greatly skews the participation of women in general in the space industry. And how is it in, in the U.S.? Well, I agree with you. I think we do have to create more role models. And what I mean by that is, when, again, when we think back to the Apollo era and we looked at those engineers, they were all white male STEM professionals, right? Sitting in Kennedy Space Center, watching the Apollo 11 take off. I mean, there's pictures of it. And in that picture, there's like one woman 
in that room of all male. Now we do know during the Apollo era, there was diversity. We saw the movie Hidden Figures. So we do know Katherine Johnson, you know, and many other amazing uh diversity women were part of putting a man on the moon and safely returning him to earth. But I think as we fast forward to the Artemis generation, which is where we are today, you know, more than 30 countries have signed the Artemis Accords to return humanity to the moon, this time to stay and go on to Mars. We are starting to see more gender diversity. You know, the first woman has been selected to go around the the moon. Eventually, we're going to see the first woman on the moon. And where will she come from? Will she be U.S. or another country? We're seeing a lot of private companies that are sending more diversity into space, you know, whether it's Blue Origin or Virgin Galactics, SpaceX. We're seeing a lot of that, like Dr. Cyan Proctor, who went with SpaceX. So we are starting to see those role models. And I think that's critical because for women and diversity to find pathways into the space industry, they have to see a pathway. And it's not just for them that has to see it. It's also for their family, their parents, because a child is not going to see an astronaut and then say, I want to be that when they don't see anybody that looks like them and if their family doesn't support that type of career path because probably nobody in their family has ever been in the space industry. So it's really important as we create, remember that access, um, awareness, access, and action that I shared you. When we create that awareness, uh, we have to reach out to those underrepresented groups. And then that access point is creating mentors and role models and champions that helps diversity and underrepresented groups. I prefer underrepresented because um, somebody could be from inner city or rural community. I don't know what their gender or their you know background is. Just underrepresented groups, they need to see somebody that, that looks like them, that maybe has their same background, and then they can come into the space industry. You know, like I share my story, I did not know what I wanted to be when I graduated high school. I really didn't know. Um, I wanted to see the world. And so one of the best things to do was to join the Air Force. I certainly did not plan to become a person in the space industry. But as I completed my undergraduate, my master's degree, you know, the Air Force made me a space professional. So again, the more we provide pathways that are non-traditional, into the space industry, the more we're going to see more diversity and underrepresented groups. And then that will have a bigger effect on drawing more people in. That's the United States. And as you said, Germany and India. And I will share with you in the the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, it's the opposite. They have more women that are in engineering than men. So again, it is really region specific. And so it is also to look at how can individuals potentially move around in the space community to take jobs. I mean, ultimately, the best thing you want to do is if you're from an African country is you want to be part of the space industry in your country. But it may not exist yet. It may be still a nascent emerging space economy. You may need to go to South Africa or Egypt or another country with a more mature space industry, learn there, and then maybe come back and be a pioneer in your country. So again, there's lots of different levels uh, for individuals to enter the space industry, to grow in the space industry, and then ultimately become leaders in the space industry. That's very interesting now that you mentioned different geographies like Africa and also the the Middle East in general. So and you also have been working with organizations, both commercial, governmental, all sorts of organizations across the world. So how do you or what differences do you see in, uh, in navigating the space sector or the space industry in these different geographies? 
Well, I think the first thing you really have to do is you have to look at the first important thing. What is important to those individuals in that country? And that, that determines your strategic outreach and communication plan. I was really thrilled that I was able to lead a workshop discussion about the importance of strategic communication and outreach for a workshop for the UN IAF during IAC in Baku 2024 or 2023. And what we focused on is that first step for those emerging space nations or communities that want to be part of the space industry. Who are your constituents? What's important to them? How do you bring value back to them by being part of the space industry? So sometimes people say, oh, look at the United States or China or Russia, that may not be the right model for an emerging space country in Africa or South America. It's really what benefits your community. Some communities may benefit from tech transfer, the technology that we use from going to space that we can then bring back to Earth to help benefit individuals. And some of those can be Earth observation, weather data, um, helping farmers increase crop yields using uh, space science methods. So it's really important that as a country or an organization looks at how they can bring value in the space industry, they also have to look at who are they bringing value to and what is that message, that awareness and strategic communication they have to do. I highlight this because during this workshop, uh, one emerging space country, their uh, space agency shared with me, they put a nanosat in orbit and they thought this was so great and their country would just love that they're in space. And instead their constituents thought, oh my gosh, you spent billions of dollars putting a nanosat in orbit and you could have done all these other things. So it was a messaging misconnect. Obviously it doesn't cost billions of dollars to put a nanosat in orbit, you know, thousands or so. And, but they did not do a good outreach and strategic communication to connect what they were doing with their constituents, their citizens to make this a value. So it's really important for emerging space nations to listen what would bring value to their constituents. Yeah, it's a very valid point because especially in the post-COVID world where budgets are stressed across, you know, across every country, we're all questioning why are you, you know, pouring millions or maybe billions into the space industry. That's a that's a very interesting point. And I also love the way you look at it from an individual's perspective, right? So you started off saying that you need to look at what that person or that community wants. And also previously, you said how awareness or outreach should not just reach the individuals, but also the family, because family plays a very big role in shaping and influencing a person's decisions. That's incredible. So of course, the solution to all this is having more and more role models and promoting more outreach and conveying the message in, in the right way. Uh, however, when we are, want to have more and more role models, you know, when we want to put them up on a stage for everyone to get inspired from, one problem we often see is, for example, there's a, there's a panel discussion or in an event, and oftentimes organizers are thinking, mm, I should have a woman because I just want to fill the quota, right? So how do you think we can shift this perspective from I should have a woman because I need to have a fill a quota to I really want to have a diverse perspective and so I'm going to seek an underrepresented person. So how, how can we bring about this shift? Well, I think you highlighted it. What is our goal for that event, that panel? Who's the audience and what are we trying to accomplish? And so just to say, oh, I need a woman or an African-American, I, I think that might muddy things. I think what's important to look at is we want to bring a diversity of background and thoughts and insights to those um, to those discussions and create a thought leadership dialogue. And that's going to create 
different people from different perspectives to really have thought leadership. Um, because how are we going to grow the space industry? Like you said, there are many challenges here on Earth that are competing with the space industry. You know, one of the number one things is climate change. And so it's critical that we are out there as advocates highlighting how the space industry is helping with climate change. If you go to the United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs, there's a drop-down menu and it lists all the, the 17 sustainable development goals and how space is helping each and every one of those. Well, again, there are men and women and different individuals from regions of the world that are participating in that. And so to have a thought leadership discussion about how space is benefiting humanity, you need to pull from all these different backgrounds. It may not mean I need a woman or I need this. It might be I need a water expert. I need a climatologist. I need somebody, an oceanographer. I need a diversity of individuals to talk about this subject and how we're pulling space into being part of the solution. As you mentioned today, uh, for our audience, they may not know, we're having some web challenges, but thanks to space technology, that is the backbone for telecommunications. This is how telecommunications started was through the space industry. Think about the pandemic of 1918 when there was no telecommunications. You know, there was no such thing as telework, telehealth, uh, teleschool. So space technology is benefiting us in a diversity of ways. And I think we need to bring those diversity of individuals to the table to talk about how space is benefiting us versus thinking about what does the person look like that's on the stage. Yeah, it's all about equalizing access. And that's what space is doing. And do you have a message for the listeners from the Women in Aerospace Europe community or women or underrepresented groups across the world who are listening to this podcast and who want to get into the space industry? Absolutely. Well, there are some great organizations out there you can join. WIA is a fabulous organization. I'm going to start with that. I was the chair for WIA here in the United States for three years, and it was an amazing journey. So they're a great organization. You have WIA Europe, WIA Canada, WIA Africa, WIA Japan. So great organization. You can also join Women Tech Network. Great organization. They have a mentoring program as well. And even though it says women in the name, it's open to men and women. And another great organization you can join is Space Generation Advisory Council. They give scholarships to space conferences, they pull together networking events, and they also have a mentoring program. So I'm going to kind of share that with the, you know, access point I gave you earlier, awareness, access, and action. That access is so important. Build your network, find mentors and get training, whether it's formal or informal, find ways to get training to come into the space industry. To all those listening, I'm going to include links to all the networks that Shelly has mentioned in the description. Feel free to check it out. And Shelly, you've shared incredible insights from your uh, from your wide experience across the world and your you know experience with working with different stakeholders across the space value chain. I've personally learned so much more and uh, I love the way you look at things. I love the way you look at it from a human, from a humanistic perspective. And it's, it's incredible and beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Shelley. Absolutely, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to join you. And until next time, I look forward to seeing you around the galaxy.